Hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Indigenous Roots and Hoots is about Indigenous people and culture, past and present, success stories and inspiring stories about Indigenous people and what they are doing today. Whether it's arts, music, sports, business, education, and so on, Indigenous people are affecting positive change in their communities throughout Canada. Our aim is to create a better awareness about Indigenous peoples to help bridge the gap of understanding for the reconciliation process in Canada to grow. Today's guest is Heidi Metcalf. Heidi is a proud urban Inuk with family roots in Nunatsiavut, Labrador. She is a mom and the first Ottawa Inuit-based foster parent, cultural ambassador, throat singer, and Inuit Games demonstrator. Heidi is one of the founders of the Ottawa Inuit Children's Centre, now called Inukatugit Centre, which empowers Inuit families in Ottawa through culture-based programming and services. Heidi is a role model not only in her local community, but across Canada. In 2010, Heidi was recognized as a national Aboriginal role model. This recognition enabled her to travel across the country to motivate and inspire Indigenous youth. Heidi enjoys providing interactive presentations to all walks of life about Inuit culture, including throat singing, history, current events, drumming, and Inuit games. She is one half of the cultural performing duo Sikiniap Klauta, Sun's Drum, along with her friend and performing partner Linda Brown. Sikiniap Klauta has traveled extensively nationally and internationally, demonstrating and performing. Heidi also volunteers with several boards and initiatives, including the Ottawa Police Services Community Equity Council, co-chair of the Indigenous Subcommittee, and the Ontario Aboriginal Housing Support Services Proposal Review Committee. Heidi is motivated to changing the way of doing things to ensure better outcomes for all, and we are honoured to have her with us today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast episode of Roots and Hoots, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and my guest today is Heidi Metcalf. Hello, Heidi. How are you today? Not bad, Gordon. How are you? We're doing well, and I'm very happy that uh, you agreed to join us uh, on this podcast. And uh, maybe uh, we can begin by, you know, tell us tell us a, a little bit about your, your background, where you grew up, your cultural identity, that sort of stuff. Okay, go ahead. Oh, wow. It's always a, always a tough one. to. My name is Heidi Metcalf. I am a lifelong urban Inuk. I am the youngest of seven, uh, born and raised in Ottawa. And uh, been, you know, my, my dad is Inuk. My mom is Dutch. So I feel like I've walked in both worlds or two worlds most of, of my life. And a super proud a member of the Ottawa Mute, or the Ottawa community, Ottawa Inuit community, volunteering my time there, working within the community, and uh, supporting Inuit as much as I possibly can. Right on. You're one of the founders of the Inugatigit Center for Inuit Children and their families. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about the center and what it does. Uh, yeah, so Inokatakit has been around for a number of years now. Um, I feel like it is my baby a little bit, and now it's kind of grown and, you know, flown the nest and and moved on and doing its own thing, which is fantastic. Um, we started it, it was a group of parents, and I, uh, all of our children were in the Inuit Head Start program, and we felt 
like there was more that could be done for for children and their families at that time in uh, Ottawa. So we we formed the Ottawa Inuit Children's Centre, which later changed its name to Inukhatagit. And it has grown and it is a major staple for, for Ottawa Mutes. It's, it's got a strength-based model, children first type of uh, philosophy. And knowing that um, children can succeed if their families are, are succeeding or, um, and so, you know, the philosophy of meeting families where they're at and going from there, um, individual as well as group, like, you know, so children, youth, families, everybody all together. So they, they've got the Head Start program, daycare program, education hubs. So elementary and high school Inuit students can choose to, to learn within their culture, following the same curriculum as everyone else. After school programs, women's groups, men's groups, just all kinds of, all kinds of stuff, activities and supports for Inuit in, in Ottawa, which is... It, it was so needed when I was a child, and it's still needed today, and it's successful, it's amazing, it's celebrating culture and changing the way people do things for better outcomes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I did many years ago, uh, starting up the Ottawa Inuit Children's Centre, with the I, uh, along with other parents. Yeah. yeah. I... Uh... I believe my my daughter is the president of the center. Yeah, I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> yes. We like uh, having her as the president of the board of directors. She's amazing. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah, I know she's doing really well. One of the things I wanted to ask you, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised to hear that uh, the Inuit Children's Center is more inclusive of not just children, but uh, the whole family as a whole and older children as well. Is that, is that, is that, did I hear you correctly? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, children are only children for so long, and then they, they become youth and youth have their own, you know, wants and needs and interests and, and youth are only youth for so long, right? And then they become adults and, you know, working adults, uh, parents. So the Ottawa, in a surrounds the, the entire family for sure yeah and i think one of the programs you had going on there with the young people with the young children is is the inuktitut language program is that still going on you know i i'm not 100 percent sure because COVID interrupted so many different things um but i do know that they have uh resources to to help people learn inuktitut for sure you know and one of the programs that i forgot to mention it's one that my brother has worked in in many years so I better mention it if I want to enjoy Christmas with my family. Okay. <laughs> so he, yeah. he does um, he does the Bridging the Gap program, which is working with the school system and working with Inuit children and youth in the schools, doing presentations, teaching about Inuit culture, improving the curriculum, all kinds of stuff like that, which is, you, you know, the the school system has really changed since I went to elementary school. and it's changing for the better. And we knew, we do know with the truth and reconciliation calls to action, we do know that there's more work to be done within the education system. And one of my brothers at the Inukratikit Center with this program is doing that work. Yeah, uh, the reason why I mentioned the language thing is because the Legacy Hope Foundation is working on a language project 
I kind of remember they were uh, teaching uh, in Oktitut at the Inuit Children's Center uh, at one point, and I was just wondering how that was going because, you know, Indigenous language has become such an important issue across Canada with First Nations, uh, not so much Inuit because their language is pretty strong. The Métis also, uh, but uh, the Métis language is also in danger of people not being able to speak it, kind of slowly disappearing. Uh, like many indigenous languages, First Nations languages are kind of, you know, in danger of disappearing. So there's been a big push for uh, language reclamation across Canada and culture as well. So I was kind of interested to see how that was coming along. But I, like you said, COVID kind of interrupted a lot of the stuff that's being taught in school. But I guess the, the Indian Children's Center is back open again now. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, they yeah. stayed they stayed open throughout COVID, but they had to pivot, I suppose, and and do a lot of the the work that they normally do at home. So you know, the community didn't have the the celebrations that we normally have, uh, like the big Christmas party and Inuit Day in February and graduation days and stuff like stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the group activities had to be put on hold, but the center stayed open and and worked through and still supported families throughout the pandemic. I can imagine like children, they need to interact with each other. And uh, it must have been frustrating for children, you know, to to not be able to see other children. And I know my grandchildren are feeling the same way, you know, even though they were learning online, uh, it's just not the same. No, you know, it's, when, yeah. when, you, when you're interacting with other kids, you know, your friends and that sort of thing. Well, and, uh, and Inuit, Inuit are such experiential learners too, right? So sitting in front of a computer screen for a lot of children is difficult, but I found it especially difficult for for Inuit children who are used to being active and, and moving around and, and doing the experiential learning. Right. Especially with, with Dion and his games, you know, uh, <laughs> keeping the kids active. So, uh, yes. Uh, is, that. Uh, is the Christmas party still on this year? Is it on again? As far as I know, it's going to happen. Okay, that's great. It is okay. great. Yeah. You are also part of a group called Signi, Signi Up Pilauta. Did I say that right? Signi Up Pilauta. Yeah, okay. Sun's drum. Sun's drum is what it means, right? Yes. How did this come about? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Signet Kilauta has been around longer than I've been part of the group. It started out with two sisters and two of their friends wanting to learn how to throat sing, wanting to learn the traditional ayaya songs and wanting to learn how to drum. And so they they did it. They they got some funding, they ran some practices, they taught, they t- spoke to other throat singers and um elders and and learned what they could and eventually Three of the members, three out of the four members, ended up moving back to Inuit Ninangat. And so the one member that was still Ottawa-based, she she's my best friend. Her name's Linda Brown. She looked at me. We were working together at Pogtiti, the Inuit Women of Canada at the time. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to learn how to throat sing. I'm going to teach you. <laughs> it's like, Okay. Let's do it. All right. Let's do this. And so she took me under her wing. She taught me throat singing. And ever since then, we, it's been the two of us. And we um, have been very fortunate to travel to many wonderful places, work collaboratively with many wonderful artists. When we first started throat singing, we can count on the, 
the number of throat singers on one hand. There was very, very few throat singing. It was considered very exotic, very odd, right? But even though it's part of the Inuit culture, it wasn't odd or exotic for Inuit, but for, for the audiences. And now there are so many throat singers. It is absolutely amazing to see the reclamation that that happened with throat singing. And, you know, Linda and I have had the privilege to to teach throat singing to, to many different people from all around. And uh, so every time, every time we travel and we meet another throat singer, we exchange songs and, and practice and laugh. And so, yeah, that's, that's Sunstrom. That's Signet Clota. Very fortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite a, a unique form of uh, expression, uh, singing. I, I find that when people first hear throat singing or uh, throat singing, uh, they're kind of shocked, surprised that it's a different form of song. Yeah. It's a different form of expression singing. It's not your, you know, your everyday singing kind of thing. So it, it's quite well, and the the fact that we don't sing at the same time, right? Like that we're singing in a right. round, but in a very very quick round. Yeah, I I pride myself, Gordon, on on teaching anybody how to throat singing in the, under a minute. Are you up for it? Okay. All right. Yeah. I want I want you to say hama hama hama. Okay, hang on a minute. Hama, hama, hama. Okay, yeah. hama. Now hama, I want you, hama, hama. Now I want you to say hama, 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 but use your monster voice. <clears throat> okay. Hama, hama, hama. Oh, okay, hama. I got it. Hama, 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 hama. Fantastic, but you're not quite throat singing yet. Okay. And and Gordon, I do I do have to say that I teach people how to throat sing, not so they can take space away from Inuit and submit for uh, an Indigenous musical work. Please, right. <laughs> I, I hope none we'll of your do listeners that. do that. No, no. Um, but I do I do teach it so so people get an appreciation of what throat singers are doing. Yes. So so where you're where you're making the right sounds for a basic competition song but what we're actually doing with throat singing is when you say hum the other throat singer uh would actually be saying ma all right so so like we're not doing the same sounds at the same time okay and the first one to laugh loses the game because throat singing is a game okay so why don't you start and i'll, I'll jump in <clears throat> okay my throat is getting scratchy. <laughs> you gotta have water. That's Not part of doing that through. That's yeah. part of the uh, that's part of the challenge. Yeah, I recommend yeah. water. Yeah. Hot hot tea with a little bit of honey in it and fisherman's <laughs> friends. Yeah. Okay, I got those. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's quite awesome, Heidi. Now I'm gonna practice with Martha. Yes. <laughs> One of my greatest joys is throat singing with Martha. Yeah, she's good. Yeah. Yeah. You have traveled across Canada, inspiring and teaching young people about your Inuit culture. What do you say to young people you meet? You know, when you're doing your presentations, your throat singing and the history and drumming and games. Is there a message there somewhere or is this more of an educational thing? You know, I, 
is there a message? Normally, like I tailor my presentations and performances to the audience, to what they want to learn. So I always find doing presentations and performances for the youth, especially because they're not afraid of asking questions, right? And and that is fantastic because that tells me what they want to learn. You know, one of my greatest pet peeves is when people say youth are the future or, you know, it's like, no, youth are, are right now, right? right? They're, they're not the future. They are right now. And, you know, I must, we've done a pretty poor job, my generation of uh, taking care of this earth for the youth and the children. And, you know, we, we're well, making, we're making a lot of changes. We're, we're doing a lot of good things, but we do need to forward as a society i do think we need to look be more forward thinking of whatever our decisions and actions now what kind of impact they have for generations down the line but you know my my goal always gordon is to create allies i find with with education communication understanding then then we then we get allies and there's, you know, there's only 65,000 Inuit in Canada. There's more university students in Ottawa than there are Inuit in all of Canada. And we're, we're strong. We're resilient. I'm looking forward to a time where we don't have to be resilient. But, you know, we've negotiated four distinct land claim agreements that make up 35% of Canada's landmass, right? There's a lot for Inuit to be proud of. But we do need allies. And, and so my goal is to always create allies. Yeah. You know, at one time when I was working for Inuit in the 90s, I believe the number was around 25,000 Inuit across Canada. So the population has grown substantially. And, substantially. Uh, yeah. And, and with the First Nations, I guess, I guess you could say Indigenous people in general in Canada have the fastest growing population in Canada. So yeah. Uh, that's really good to hear, you know. It is, it is good to hear. Yeah. I, I agree. I, you know, I think one of the reasons for the population explosion is that it's safer now for Indigenous people to identify as Indigenous. We know in Canada that that, that hasn't always been the case. And, you know, I have to props and shout outs to all the folks that came before you and I, Gordon, to make sure that that change for our generation and for the generation's to come, right? So it's safer now for people to self-identify as Indigenous. We're not 100% there yet, but it is definitely safer. So that's, I mean, that's one of the small reasons for the population explosion. The other one is like, you know, we tend to have big families. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more, there seems to be more mobility now. People are like moving about and going places and, you know, doing different things and, you know, just uh, more interaction, I guess. I don't know. There could be a number of number of reasons. Like uh, you and I, don't think we could pinpoint the exact reason for it. But there's probably a combination of, of things that that contribute to the population growth, mm-hmm. and, it, and that's a good thing. So you travel across Canada. You you know you you've met tons of people, and you've done demonstrations, presentations. You recently uh, were recognized in two, 2010 as a national Aboriginal role model. How has this impacted your life? I love how you say recently there, because 2010 seems so long ago, doesn't it? 
Well, Richard, if you're my age, you know, that's not too long ago. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, you know, when, when people say 20 years ago, I think 1980, but, you know, 20 years ago was 2002. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think about that. Not actually that, that, that long. You know, the Lula with Langman was just, just recently, I still think of it as recently. It was 1999, right? Yeah. Oh, I'll keep you up late at night with these with these thoughts, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. The um, the National Aboriginal Role Model Program was was a wonderful program. It was put together by the National Aboriginal Health Organization, which is no longer around, unfortunately. Um, and you know that that was the beginning of well, maybe not the beginning, but. Um, I received a lot of confidence from that, a lot of support, a lot of people who helped and acknowledging that the people that surrounded me then and now, you know, I'm, I'm nothing without the people that, that help. Yeah. The National Aboriginal Role Model Program. It, what a, what a program. It was so amazing. So yeah, I got to go to all kinds of different places. Like I went to the Niscapi Nation of Kawawa Chikimash. And spoke with the the community there, and uh, I remember going up to Red Lake as well, and and speaking to the community there, and just it was an amazing program, and there was so many amazing people involved, and it was such an honor to be to be nominated and and chosen. So, but it does feel like a few years ago now, Gordon. <laughs> yeah, there were actually was one prior to that. I don't know if the same one around the ninety, the late eighties, it was eighty five. In that that time frame, I, I could could be the same one. It could be uh, another different one. It had it was the uh, indigenous uh, well, Aboriginal role models from across Canada. There was a number of them. Uh, Joy Joy Keeper was one, and the other one I kind of remember. They had posters, right? Yeah. And there's a guy who's a doctor now who was at BC, um, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the same program. But I thought it was really good because they had posters. And they distributed these posters with a picture of the person and, and what they did. So and they went across Canada. And I think they were quite inspiring for young people to see, you know, uh, man, you know, this person is doing this. You know, maybe I could do something like that. So absolutely, uh, the, the National Aboriginal Role Model Program you know, was definitely successful. Yeah. Posters and trading cards. That was interesting. The trading card I didn't I, I didn't know about. Don't yeah. Well, it was the it was the same image that was on the posters, but it would be on a, on a little trading card, and everybody who is nom everybody who is appointed or I forget the name of it, but was a national Aboriginal role model also got a trading card that you could hand out in yeah. communities and such. Okay, like a calling card, eh? Yeah. 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 How many were there when you were there? How many uh, role models? In in 2010, uh, there was 12 of us. 12? Yeah. Okay. Can you name a few? I could, but you put me on the spot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. No. No, it's okay. Never mind. Okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, we've got a couple more questions for you here. You have also volunteered on many boards and committees uh, over the years. Is there one that stands out for you? Uh, I know probably the Kilauta or the Inuga Tikit, Inuit Children's Center is probably special to you. You know, 
I volunteer on, on these places. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I volunteer in these places before I tell you which ones, like they're all special. Right. But when I, um, and you, you knew my dad, so you, you would understand this conversation a little bit, but when, when I got approved for post-secondary education funding, my college was, was paid for, my dad sat me down and he was a little pissed off and I didn't understand why he was upset that his daughter was getting funding for college. Right. Like it just, so I, I listened and I, I was like, what, what's going on? Right. And my, my dad, he's, he's like, you know, I was the one that went through forced relocation, residential school, tuberculosis treatment. You know, it was my family, my, my brothers, my sisters, my, my mom, my dad, people, my generation were the ones that went through all of this pain and heartache. And he, and he said, you, you've led a pretty good life and now your college is being paid for don't you dare take it for granted and don't you dare become entitled. And I was like, uh, okay, dad, like, yeah, hundred percent. You're right. Right. Like he went through all of that pain and heartache and everybody oh. he knew went through that yeah. pain and heartache and, you know, suicides and alcoholism and all kinds of stuff and fought through that. And he said, yeah, don't become entitled. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Don't feel entitled, yeah. And and don't take it for granted. So, you know, taking my dad's words and you know, what what can little old Heidi do? Well, Heidi can volunteer her time. So yeah, it started off with oh my goodness, it started off with Inuit nonprofit housing. I started yeah. there in, in two thousand and two, sat on their board of directors, right? Because I was on that board too. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I believe that. But yeah, if you don't if you don't have a house, if you don't have a home, then yeah. how can how can you even begin to do anything else, right? Like couch surfing is is no way to live and living in the shelter system, especially with kids, oh my goodness, it's one of the hardest things that so many in our communities do. So yeah, volunteering my time on a new nonprofit housing and then working with other parents on the Inukatagit or Ottawa Inuit Children's Centre and continuing on with the housing theme, volunteering with the Ontario Aboriginal Housing Support Services on their proposal review committee. And that one, like that one doesn't get a lot of comments or a lot of reviews or a lot of, you know, a lot of, and as it's an amazing organization that is making change in so many people's lives day in and day out and just working away working away and and doing it and I am honored to be on the proposal review committee so through that proposal review committee millions have gone into uh, indigenous housing in Ontario and that that could be rent geared to income housing it could be this building a transitional housing it could be renovating housing that already exists but isn't livable but now it is just it's an absolutely amazing committee to be a part of. So I've, and you know, being a foster parent, that has been a, a great honor as well. Like to be, yeah. to be able to be welcomed into a child's heart and be able to help that family, the, the children and the, the biological parents in the time of their lives when they're experiencing heartache and crisis. Right. And, yeah. and being able to, connect with the parents and as much as we possibly can 
reunite the family, it's hard. It's it's not always easy, but it is most definitely worth it. So, yeah, yeah I don't I don't know, Gordon. <laughs> that's... Yeah, well, that's uh, I mean the the whole foster thing, uh, raising children, you know, that are not yours. The whole foster parent program, you know, it, that's a whole that's a whole kettle of fish there that, that you know, we, could, we could spend hours talking about. And uh, and I'm amazed that you were able to do that. And it's like, I was just looking at some, a little bit about your biography here. And I count at least six organizations that you were a, a member of, a committee member of, or a board member of. And that, you know, that to me says it all about, you know, your character and the absolute, for sure you are a national Aboriginal role model, you know, and not just a youth, but a person. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm quite amazed and impressed by, by that. I mean, uh, to be on that many committees and boards and still function as a, a foster parent and, and do all the great things that you do. So it's uh, you're quite an amazing person. I want to just ask you one more question that's been floating around across Canada over the last year or so, maybe a couple of years now. Uh, it's about, you know, truth and reconciliation and talking about the buzzword has been reconciliation and how we can make Canada a better country for everybody to live in. And I asked all my guests this, uh, what, how do you feel? What are your feelings on uh, reconciliation? Oh my goodness, Gordon. Like we could, we could chat for hours on so many different things, can't we? You know, I admire the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and all the work that they did uh, in advancing this narrative in, in Canada. You know, we can't, we can't have the reconciliation without the truth. So the the work that the Legacy of Hope Foundation is doing about the truth and the residential school system, you know, I used to joke. Well, it's not really a joke. It's it's sort of true, but I, you know, I say it as a joke that the general public in Canada can only handle one crisis at a time, or or one negative topic at a time. And for the longest time, it's been the residential school system and the history in Canada with the residential school system, and the changes that I have seen as a society in this country just in the past 10 years alone has, has been fantastic. When Stephen Harper did the apology in 2008, I remember being very skeptical. I did get invited to go to Parliament Hill and I refused, partly because he left the Labrador residential schools out of the apology and, and that's where my family is from. And I remember like, okay, yeah, we'll see where this goes like of course having the hope and the optimism but yeah we'll see where this goes and because of the work of so many people so 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 many people a lot has been done and I know that a lot more needs to be done but the truth and reconciliation work has opened the doors for other conversations including like the 60 scoop and the child welfare system and the education system and the policing system and all of these systems that have done harm to indigenous people in, in this country. So uh, yeah, no, much, much admiration and gratitude for all of the work that has been done and continue. I, you know what, I forget what the question is by now, but well, you know, truth first, conciliation after, and, and we'll get there. It's it's going to take time, but yeah, we will get there. Well, it's uh, like to me, it's people like you that uh, that make a difference in terms of trying to reconcile this country 
you know, to, to be a better country and to understand each other and all the great work that you do and other people that do similar things like Teresa Edwards, our, our uh, executive director. She also gets involved in, in a lot of committees and boards trying to educate people uh, about indigenous people and history. So I think you're quite an amazing person, inspiring role model, a, a leader, you know, uh, for sure. And, ambitious uh young person i won't call you a youth a, you're not a youth anymore <laughs> not a youth anymore <laughs> haven't been for a while <laughs> i keep wanting to think of you as a young person but i guess you're an adult now and uh, you have children and you know and you're doing great things i'm just amazed that has been talking to you and all the things that you've done and you really have a, a good future a bright future ahead of you so just keep doing what you're doing and you know you're a real inspiration to to everybody you know and and you know, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Legacy Hope Foundation, you know, on behalf of them, the Legacy Hope Foundation, who I am a part of, uh, we want to thank you for taking the time to do this with us today. Nakomik, thank you. Merci. Nakomik, Gordon, I appreciate the conversation. is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca to learn more.